0: Today we're going to, we've been giving you some attention on our launch uh, Sunday, which is February the 26th for this outreach. And I want to tell you, this is as much a mission project as supporting Susan Ricketts in Japan or the Smocks in South Korea or Team Challenge. Uh, all, all of these are worthy of our attention. And this is our own local missionary outreach right here coming up next month. And, of course, we include Chi Alpha in our mission support. We're just so delighted for Josh and Katie being here, and Will and Amanda and the, and the team, Taylor, uh, Caleb, Michael. I think they'll all start filtering in here this week. But um, they were at the missions summit, and some of you had a hand in what God did there because you helped enable some of these students to go. So here's a video of some of them speaking to you of the gratitude that you did with helping them. So here we go. CFA. We're here at the World Mission Summit and uh, God's doing some amazing things here and uh, God has just really reaffirmed the calling I have on my life to do campus missions and I want to thank you guys so much for making that a possibility. My life's been changed at the summit because now I have a heart for the Lord and his children and I just wanted to say thank you for supporting me and giving me this opportunity to go. During my time at World Mission Summit, God has just been speaking to me so much and Just especially, he's really opened my eyes and my heart to just the fact that he's been calling me into missions, which I was considering before, but he's really confirmed it here and now, and uh, just specifically uh, Kai Alpha, serving as a missionary for Kai Alpha. So, uh, without you guys' support, I mean it would have been a lot more difficult for me to come here. So thank you so much. Awesome time here at the World Mission Summit. I feel like I've learned so much. I've gotten to see so much of the world that there is to explore and share God's word in. I feel like God might be calling me somewhere in the U.S., maybe San Francisco or someplace else. But I've really felt on fire for God while I've been here. It's been awesome. So thank you so much for supporting me. Uh, So I'm here at the World Summit. It's been great. Uh, I really feel God's presence here just showing me awareness of how many uh, needs there are the world, how many people are out there serving Him, so thank you guys for sending me, and yeah. I've been praying for courage ever since uh, this summer. I've really felt that I need to, you know, get out and do more for the people that I love, and get out and, you know, talk to them more about Christ, because they, they may be living a Christian lifestyle, but they're not really living the lifestyle that they're called to live, um, and I've been praying for the courage to go out and do that. And, and during this conference, I really felt like I've been filled with with courage to step out and do things that I wouldn't normally do. I'm, I, I don't feel uncomfortable anymore. I feel as if borders that that were normally there that would keep me from doing things because it's socially awkward and faded. And and it's really just giving me room to grow and now, now I have so much more to, to explore and to, to learn and to get to do for the Lord. And it's it's really awesome. So thank you TFA. I just wanna say thank y'all for having given us the opportunity to come out here. The Lord's just been really speaking to me and opening my heart for missions and revealing more of himself through where his heart lies, which is the missions. And no that would be possible without you guys and I'd be so grateful for my family at TFA for doing this and those. Thanks so much for supporting me to come to World Mission Summit. It's been really good just to get to uh, be refreshed on how important missions are and supporting them. So thanks so much. Through the World Mission Summit, I feel like God has really been calling me to use my gifts less for my potential, less for my success, but more for the success of his kingdom and more for the success of his people. And I just want to thank you, TFA, for helping me come to World Mission Summit and helping to support me in all of my struggles and in all of my pains but in all of my successes with God, and I thank you for that. Hey, TFA, thank you so much for helping me come to World Mission Summit. It's been awesome, like the best experience I've ever had. I just want to say thank y'all, and I love y'all so much. Do you think that was a pretty good investment? Yes. You know, it, it's hard to put a, a value on that. When someone receives something from the Lord, you can't put a monetary value on it. You, there's, it is an amazing thing when God deposits something in our lives through someone else's being the instrument. And I've been on the receiving end of many people depositing things into my life. That they didn't, they did not know they were doing so. But I care to something away from that. That is not just foundational, but it becomes part of the transformation of us growing and getting closer and knowing the Lord. There's no value you can put on that. Um, you remember the word for last week? Priorities. the The word for the year is focus. We get, well, it's just a good word, isn't it? Focus, priorities, um, the word for today is strong, and I'll get to it in just a moment. Uh, but as I was listening, uh, especially uh, to the student that was talking about now having courage, and, and one of the things we talked about in our staff meeting last month uh, in our devotional time was having no restraints on what God wants to do in your life. Because we can put restraints on ourselves. Uh, Our own doubts, our own hesitations, um, our own unbelief. Um, God puts something in front of us and we kind of like, our first reaction is to back away from it because we think, well, maybe I can't do that or I don't have the means to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. But if we could get a year like this year, not only with the launch Sunday, but where we can come to a place where we're just saying, Lord, I'm tired of restraints. I'm tired of restraints that I put on myself, not someone else has put on me. I want to be free to run after you. I want to be free to know you. And in some ways, that's where this word is going to fit in today, this word strong. You know, for for me, the the my highest desire for you is that you more fully understand God's purpose for your life. What is His plan for you? That's why this little notebook was given out. If you haven't got one of these, we have some of them up here on the front. For you to write down daily, what, what is God's plan for me today uh, to discern His purpose? I was reading this past week and I, and I, I told Brenda and, and uh, I told some of the guys in our Thursday morning group even before this year got here, one of the things I want to do is read more and watch less. Which means I want to be more in a book, more in scriptures than in front of a television or in front of something that's just kind of running through and it's controlling the moment. If you think about it, when, when you're sitting in front of a television, it's controlling the moment. It's controlling the thoughts. It's controlling your attention. And I think focus really fits to where we need to pull our focus away from certain things and get it more on the Lord and more on what He has for us. Um, I was reading about Paul's encounter um, with um, the college students in Athens. I think that'd be a correct statement that, that where it was like the quad there where they all would sit and they would go over philosophy and debate philosophy. And, and, and in my reading, I came across uh, some things that made me go back to Acts 17. I'm not preaching from Acts 17. I'm just giving you as a, this is an appetizer. How's this? Um, that Paul actually quotes one of their poets. And they says, you know, you quote one of your poets that in, in the God that they think of, we live and move and have our being. But before he got to that, he said this about the God he was preaching to them. He says, you, you have all kinds of idols here and you have one over here and you just got uh, the unknown God. He says, well, let me tell you about him. And this is what he says in Acts 17 24. Listen, this is just appetizer. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. He himself rather gives us, gives everyone life and breath and everything else he gives everyone life and breath and everything else and the question i wrote down on my pad that day when i was thinking about this do i breathe on our own on my own or is every time my lungs expand and oxygen comes into my blood system that that's really driven by the power of god That's really the life of God. That's the gift that God gives to us. Some of you may remember a song, Every move I make, I make in you, Jesus. Every step I take, I take in you. Every breath I take, I breathe in you. You are my way, Jesus. Every breath I take, I breathe in you. Oh, let it be so, Lord. That every moment, should we trust that That every time we take a breath that God is wanting to do something in our lives. That He has a purpose for us. Discovering fully the plan of God. I want to take you to uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. It's Joshua chapter 1. I want to talk to you a little bit about Joshua's experience. Because you see, where the word strong fits in is when we discover more fully the purpose of God, guess what we need to live it out? We need courage and boldness and strength to live out the purpose of god it's one thing it's one thing to discern the purpose of God for what he wants for you it 's a whole different thing in putting into practice right that 's where the rub is that 's where our humanity starts getting involved in in the supernatural direction of God for our lives and Joshua is faced with this he 's faced in the the reality that he is about to be given an assignment that is pretty large, fairly significant. Because he is going to be given the role of leadership that once was filled by someone you might recognize his name, Moses. Moses, all that Moses did was carry a staff around that when he hit a rock, water came out of it. And when he stretched it out with the Red Sea, a big alley was created in that great uh, lake, that sea, where two million people went across on dry land from a, a pursuing Egyptian army. He had men coming down every day, six days a week. He did all, and Joshua is about to take his place. Now, if we were in Joshua's place, what would be the question we would be asking ourselves? I'm supposed to follow that? I'm supposed to fill his shoes? And I I don't know if Joshua was thinking that, but here's what I believe God said to him in a summary. We're going to read some of this passage in Joshua 1. I think this is what God was saying to him, says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about filling Moses' shoes. Don't worry about it. You've got this. And the first thing he says in chapter 1, verse 2, is that he tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. You know, why would he say that to him? Because there's a possibility that he didn't know that. No one went with Moses when he went up on the mountain and he died up there on that mountain. They just knew he went up there on a mountain. And I think Moses had talked to Joshua about, you know, I'm I'm not going across with you. God won't let me go across. And it exactly happened that way. Moses went up on a mountain and only God was with him when he breathed his last breath. Only God. The only person to attend Moses' funeral was God. In fact, he conducted the funeral. And he was also the burial crew. Up there on that mountain, God buried Moses. So he comes to Joshua and says, I'm just going to confirm to you, he is dead. He is dead. And he challenges him about what is going to happen next. Now, I don't think God was diminishing the reality that Moses was gone. But what God was doing, he was shifting Joshua's attention from what was to what will be. And is that a lesson for us? It's for God to move our focus away from what's happened last week or yesterday to what's in front of us today and what's in front of us tomorrow. And you see that happening it could be that Joshua just needed the confirmation like he definitely is not coming back. So here's, here's this young man, not a young man, but here's Joshua taking the place of someone who's been the leader for the last 40 years. And he's been an assistant to him, but the Lord briefs Joshua that he is gone. And then the very next words was, is, now then, all right, We got that settled, he's he's gone, he's not coming back. Now then, you and all these people, this is verse 2, all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. He connects Joshua immediately to the task at hand. He says, Moses is dead, now then, we're going to move on. And he then connects him to Moses as... A continuation of what he was doing through Moses is going to be a continuation. It's not a new work. It's going to be a continuation of what's going on. And in verse 3, look at verse 3. He says to Joshua, I will give you... Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, I will give Israel. He said, I will give you. Everything your foot touches. Every place where you set your foot. And then he connects him again to Moses. As I promised Moses. God is saying, I will promise you the same thing, the very same thing that I promised Moses. When he got into the land, and of course he kind of blew that by what he did, but God had promised him. Wherever you step your foot, that is where I'm going to give you. And he says, I'm making that promise to you. He says, the promise is to you personally. And if there's anything that should cause you to be strong this morning, then the Lord is that the promises of God to you are personal. He just doesn't throw them out to like corporate promise. He told Joshua, to you, I'm going to give this land. And look at verse 4 your territory there again he makes it personal he doesn't say israel's territory you're, you're the man your territory will extend from the desert to lebanon and from the great river the euphrates all the hittite country to the mediterranean sea in the west Do you know they've never occupied all that they've never they've never had all the land to the euphrates which is going into Iraq. They've just really had a little land east of the Jordan River when they first moved in, and that west of the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, up to Lebanon and down to Egypt. That's all the land Israel has ever occupied. Most land was under King Solomon. But he's telling him, it's the land. It's the land that I promised. This is where you're heading into, and wherever you put your foot, I'm going to give you that land. And then again, God links Joshua to Moses in verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? You're guaranteed to win here, son. As I was with Moses, as I was with Moses, I'm going to kind of be like that with you. Is that what he said? He doesn't even draw a distinction between Moses and Joshua. Now, we are always drawing distinction between people, aren't we? Well, that person does this very well. This one does it almost just as well. And, and if we're not careful, we start doing that to ourselves. And he did not want Joshua to make that mistake. He, not. he did not want Joshua to go into this with some kind of mindset that I'm not going to be able to do as good a job as Moses did. And God was telling him just the opposite. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's not backing off the fact that Moses was instrumental to this point. God is just pointing Joshua forward. He's pointing him to the future, to the next day, the day after that. And I think sometimes what we do, we dwell on the past until it captures us. And it won't let us break out of... And, and sometimes these are great. We can, we can almost be romantic with the past. We can think about how great things used to be. Right? It's just not the, the, the failures back there. We can say, you know what? That was such a great year, I don't know if we'll ever have another year like that. And this is where it's, God is trying to put a different mindset in Joshua. Like this is a start of something profound. And you're going to be right at the head of it. You're going to be leading the charge. And then in verse 6, the first of three times that God tells Joshua this. And this is really the prominence of the word strong. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You will Lead the you, You're not going to try to. You will lead these people into the Ha'eretz, the land. You know, if you research newspapers in Israel, you'll find there's a Jerusalem Post, but you'll also find a newspaper called the Ha'eretz. It's almost like sacred words to Israelis. It's the land. It's the land that God has given them. And when they, when they see and hear... For the first time to land, I had the privilege of flying into Tel Aviv one time. My first trip to Israel, we flew into Amman, Jordan. And we rode across in a bus across the Allenby Bridge outside of Jericho. And we made our way into Israel proper. But the second time I got to go into Israel in 92, we were landing in Tel Aviv. And I'm telling you, I'll... This is a priceless experience. We're sitting on this airliner, flying in, descending, and we're seeing the land. Of course, I'm getting emotional, but I see people from other countries coming as Jewish people, and tears are pouring down their face as the land. The land, they're they're there. They're back where their, their promise is. And this is what the Lord is telling Joshua, I'm giving you the land. So be strong. Be courageous. You will lead these people to inherit the high edits. And I don't don't want to make this a a, a political statement. It's just biblically that land belongs to Israel. Biblically. It's not up to us to decide who it belongs to. It's, It's up to God. And God says that is... Your land, there will never be a two-state solution in Israel. And even though we have people who say that all the time, it, it, will, it will not happen because that is Israel's land. Jerusalem belongs to Israel. But here, here God is linking Joshua to his ancestors. To these people who were way before you, you're going to go into the land. And he says, I'm connecting you to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob term. To the patriarchs who were simply given the promise. You know, the only land they had in Israel in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a couple of burial sites. And they bought that. They didn't own any of the land. They, their curds grazed on it, but they didn't own any of it. They hadn't taken possession of it. And yet it was the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, think about this, this promise, years, years, hundreds of years after God has spoken to Abraham, they're about to go in and get it. It's kind of like us being connected to the apostles and prophets. We are connected to them. Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but doesn't the scripture say that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church? That's where the church started, was with the apostles and prophets, and we're connected to them. We're also connected to people like the pilgrims who came to this continent to freely worship God. We're also connected to the William Seymours and the Charles Parham's and those who led the Azusa Street Revival and to those who brought in the Pentecostal experience into this nation. We're connected to them. And God is reminding Joshua that that I have no favorites in this promise. I said it to them, but you get to do it. Isn't that amazing? All of this has been a promise up to today. You're about to make it more than a promise. You're about to see it as a reality. Praise God. And in verse 7 is a second admonition. Be strong, very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law, my servant Moses. See, he doesn't, he doesn't it's like, we're not going to talk about Moses anymore. <laughs> God doesn't say that to him. He says, we're not going to act like Moses did not exist, but I'm going to connect you to things with Moses that you need to know now for what's ahead of you. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Moses gave him a written copy of the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Moses had written Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and probably the only thing he did not write is the closing part of Deuteronomy because it records his death, so I doubt if he wrote that. Probably the Lord told Joshua, he says, you need to finish the book. <laughs> he died and I buried him. That's all you need to know. But here it is that God is telling Joshua that it's in your hands. What you need to know is right there in your hands. Pay attention to it. Focus on that. Learn that. Obey that. Live that. He was telling Joshua, you can trust What has been handed to you through Moses. You can trust those words. And if you do, you will find success and prosperity wherever you go. Look in verse 8. He said, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. This is why you need to write something down every day. I think he is telling Joshua to do something every day, right? Meditate it on day and night. Let it always be on your lips. Lock into that book on a daily basis. You see, what he was telling Joshua, he says, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen next month and next year. I'm just giving you something that will help you today. So that you can do what you need to do Today. Every day, it's like he's telling Joshua, every day, son, listen to this book. Listen to this book. Submit to the authority of this book. You know, the problem with some people is that they want God to give them jobs and money and health and blessing to bless their families, their marriages while they are living in abject disobedience to him. They'll even find ways to justify that disobedience. Well, I don't honor God with my first fruits because I can't afford to. But I want God to bless. I want God to make me healthy. But I can't, I'm not going to let him have full access to my life every day. I'm not going to allow him to tell me what I should do every day. I've got it, Lord. And see, he's telling Joshua, that's not going to work here, son. Every day you've got to submit to the authority of this book. And you know what God is doing with Joshua? (laughs) And he probably needs to do this for us. He is removing the options of excuses from Joshua. He is giving him such exactness. He says, you're you're going to be hard-pressed to redefine what I'm saying to you or to recast it in a different way. You know, this is not about people doing the right thing. This is what God is telling Joshua. He says, you just do what you're supposed to do and you let me take care of the people. He wasn't asking him to make sure the people do the right thing. Who is he talking to Joshua about? The people are himself. He's talking to Joshua about Joshua. We're always open for God talking to us about someone else. And that, yeah, oh, they really need you. They need to get their situation straightened out. And and what he's wanting to do is to talk to us about us. And that's what he's doing here in verse 9. The third time, within just a handful of sentences, you hear this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Is it possible for someone to tell you, don't be discouraged? And you say, okay, (laughs) I'm not going to be discouraged. Is that possible? Undoubtedly, it was so with Joshua. (laughs) He said, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Okay. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, Joshua is about to take charge of the situation, and God doesn't want him to look back. In fact, he's, the very next thing Joshua does, he tells his sub his his leaders, he gives them charge: go and tell everybody, get ready. We're going to cross the Jordan. Get ready. We're going to pack up everything. We're going to go in. And here's what's going on here. Joshua had to go on his trust in the Lord and do what the Lord told him to do. And really, when the Lord told him be strong, hagzah is the Hebrew word. Well, that sounds like strong, doesn't it? Hagzah has a strong sound to it. Hagzah, be strong, son. Where was that strength coming from? It was from the word that God was giving him. You be strong because I've told you what is going to happen. And Joshua's strength, he didn't, you know, Joshua, when he told Joshua to be strong, he didn't tell him to go and get a membership at Gold's Gym and start working out and start lifting weights. We think of strength that way. He was telling him, be strong in here. Be strong inside your soul. Don't back away from the challenges that you're going to face because I am going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to be out there by yourself. And here's the question. I'm almost finished up. Does our strength come from our trust in God? Like Joshua? Before he answered, don't answer it. Don't say anything. Does our strength come from our trust in God like Joshua's? Strength came from his trust in what God told him? Or do we have a different mechanism for strength? A mechanism that was not available to Joshua. What do we have that Joshua did not have access to? On the last Wednesday of 2016, I mentioned two prayers that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. One in chapter 1 and one in chapter 3. And I'm going to take you to chap- the one in chapter 1, just a you know, part of the prayer, starting in verse 18, Ephesians 1.18. And, and this is why, you know, one of the ladies in the church sent me something, um, says, I, I, I saw this online, what do you think about it? And it was a Bible study for ladies online. And uh, I listened to it. And one of the reasons she sent it to me was, this is like you said, write out your prayers. And this lady was holding up a patent and says, and you need to write out your prayers. i like, I should have patented that. <laughs> write out your prayers. And prayers are all through the Bible. There's so many Psalms that we, we read, they're nothing but prayers. How about Psalm 51? David's repentance and David praying stuff like this. Oh, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. This was the, the, his soul crying out. And so Paul is writing to the, the people that he, the church he helped establish, and he's writing this prayer to them. And in verse 17, he says, I keep asking for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, his right hand, in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, He said, there's no one that can challenge what I'm praying over you. And God placed all things under His feet, under Jesus' feet, appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Look back that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. If you read this in, in the King James, it reads a little different. It is that exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. In one sentence, Paul uses three different words for power. The first one is dunamis. Dunamis, meaning power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. By virtue of you being born again, you have inherent power in your life. Not an idea, not a concept, not an emotion, but there's actual, real power living inside of you that can only come through being born again by the Spirit of God. And then the kratos meaning force, dominion, and might. And ixus, meaning ability, strength, and might. And he says, what I'm talking about to you, Ephesians, is this. That you have a reality, a realization of the power that is within you that did not come from just any source. It is the same power that made seasoned, rough Roman soldiers hit the deck when Jesus was raised from the dead. It is the same power, the same energy, that God used when He raised His Son, not just out of a tomb, but out of death itself. Never again to be touched by the mortality of this world. Transcendent above anything material. A body that can appear and disappear that cannot be held by a stone over a grave. This is the power that is in you. And I can just hear God saying to us, like He said to Joshua, be strong in that power. And the reality is, we treat as though that we are who we are because we made a decision. In fact, some evangelistic crusades call them decisions. We had X number of decisions. Well, there's a decision involved, but that's not how you were saved. You were saved because Jesus entered into your life. And His resurrection life came into you and You're no longer the same person. You don't think the same way. I like it how Josh McDowell said that, you know, in his testimony, he he just realized one day that he was thinking different. (laughs) Then when he sat at this research event, that he was this research project he was on to disprove the Bible. How about that? You want to take on that task? And as he researched manuscripts and all, and he came to the conclusion in... He said, I came to the conclusion in my head, but not in my heart. This must be true. And it was like... And I thought I was going to disprove it type approach. It was like, oh Lord, I'm so glad that this turned out wrong. But he said after a few days, he realized he was thinking different. It's kind of like Andrew Clavin, which loved his book, The Great Good Thing. He started reading the Gospels, and then he started praying, thinking prayer could help him. While he's driving to his office, he's a novelist. He's written novels that's been made in the movies. He, he hobnobs around people in Hollywood. And yet he had this journey he was on. was like, He's a secular Jew. He sometimes considered himself an atheist. And he just was going through life. He didn't need God. It wasn't a matter of importance whether God existed or not. But all of a sudden, he starts reading the Gospels and he becomes interested in the person of Jesus. And one day, he's driving down the road and he says, you know what, I guess now I'm a Christian. <laughs> never been in church, never answered an altar call, never said the sinner's prayer. And he came to Jesus. And he was, again, he, he doesn't have any interest in going to church, doesn't, doesn't know anything, that, why church is important, why community is important. He's just kind of like on his own journey here. And he starts saying, well, Lord, now that I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to do next? And he says he hears God speak to him, get baptized. What? Get baptized? Well, oh, that's some other people do. I, I'm, just, I'm just, I believe in you. And then he ended up getting baptized, and later he found him a little chapel to attend as he journeyed out this salvation that I came when I shut the... I've read that book in five days, by the way, and that's like a speed reading to me. I came away thinking, God, you're in pursuit of people long before they ever pursue you. That's what Alicia Chloe said one time when she was sitting in church. She was an atheist. And, and, and the reality hit her that even though she wasn't interested in God, she realized that God was interested in her. And not only became a great believer, spirit-filled woman of God, but a great teacher. You see, the same power You know, it was up to Joshua. Joshua could have came away and said, you know what, I'm not really up to this. You need to get somebody else. It's probably within his capacity to say, you know, I think this is a bit overwhelming to me. But the one thing that God wanted to make clear to Joshua was, I'm not going to treat you any differently than I did Moses. I'm going to connect you to the same thing he had. I'm not going to treat you any different. And see, I think that's where we struggle and that we start comparing ourselves with other people. And we don't think we can do certain things because we see that they're gifted for that and I'm not gifted for that. Who says you're not gifted to that? Did you say that or did the Lord say that? And if there's a word that I believe that he's telling us, in, in this year, I don't know what you're going to do with this year, but I know what I'm doing. But I want 2017 to be off the chart good. Not just for me, but for this city. For the community behind this church. For people I talk to. I, you know, for Allison that we've witnessed to, For Robin that we've witnessed to for people I've already talked to about faith and don't know where they're at. But I do know this. I know this. God is in greater pursuit of them than I could ever be. God is in absolute pursuit of them. They may not even know it. And when these books go out, I'm praying that they'll hit homes, that there's already a stirring, God's already wedded them with an appetite for truth. Maybe where they're at is so miserable they're saying, God, there's got to be more to life than this. There is more to life than that. Would you stand with me?